Looking for more professional learning, free as a benefit of your union membership? OEA's upcoming quarter catalog is available now at grow.oregoned.org. You're listening to OEA Grow, a member-led production of the Oregon Education Association and a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. OEA Grow is by members, for members. In Season 10, members discuss supporting our newly arrived students with Sakura Hamada. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to OEA Grow Podcast. My name is Sakura Hamada, and I am your this season's host. Uh, for those of you who has listened to this podcast before, welcome back. And for those of you who has not listened to this podcast before, and we're so happy to have you here to join us. Um, for this season, we've been talking about how we, as educators, supporting newly arrived students. And for this episode, I have the honor to welcome Catherine Long. And so, Catherine, if you don't mind introducing introducing yourself to us. Thank you so much. Um, uh, as you said, my name is Catherine Long. Uh, my pronouns are she and her. I teach English for speakers of other languages at Clackamas Community College. Uh, I started off my career in 2003, and I was an adjunct instructor um, for 12 years. And then um, I was fortunate enough to be able to um, move into a full-time faculty position. Um, and that's what I've been doing uh, in, the, in the meantime. And so thank you so much for the opportunity to just be here and to be able to share some things about my students' experiences and my experiences um, working with them. Oh, boy. I mean, it's it's my absolute pleasure. And thank you so much for joining us in the first place. And so I got to be honest with you, Catherine. Um, I know I mentioned this briefly, but I the only experience I have is K through 12. And... Um, because that's where my licensure was. I went to grad school and it was primary on K through 12. And so if you don't mind shedding us some light to community college and how that's kind of different from K through 12 background for some of the uh, listeners that may not be too familiar like myself. Thank you so much for that question. Um, I think that one of the things that's important to be aware of is that community colleges, we are open access. We don't want to create barriers for student access, but we recognize that there are barriers there. And so we are really working to remove those. And there might be English programs at universities and there may be certain requirements that tends to be where more you know, international students go. But for many of um, our students in the community, they um, are looking for classes that are um, inexpensive or that maybe have no cost 
And we, um, as part of our um, funding that we get, we do make sure that um, students are able to take classes, um, able to have access to our materials. And, um, and we do that in a number of different ways. We pr- uh, partner a lot with our library mm-hmm. to make sure that students can do you know, course reserves um, and not have to um, purchase textbooks. These are some things that I think are really important. Um, we also um, work as a team to make sure that um, the textbooks that we're providing students are consistent, mm. whether it's our daytime program in Oregon City or our evening program at the Harmony campus, so that if a student needs to transition from one section to another, say they got a job, then they right. don't have to go and buy a new book. Um, sometimes uh, there are um, intensive English programs where they might do more changing of those textbooks more frequently. Mm-hmm. And we we are working a lot on having those open education resources building those in addition to um, trying to find ways to make sure that students aren't putting out a lot of money for their materials. Mm. Um, And I think that's a big difference um, because there is sort of this idea of, well, you need to pay for classes and you need to pay for books. And Mm -hmm. we want to make sure that students aren't burdened that way. Um, I think another um, interesting piece that is a little bit different uh, maybe from that K-12 setting is that frequently when we're talking about uh, newly arrived students, Mm -hmm. I know that with kids, they're not going to be, um, you know, waiting a month, three months, six months, a year before they start taking classes Uh in that K-12 through setting. But uh, for some of our students, Unless they have someone here that they know or know well, it might take some time for them to make those connections. And Mm -hmm. so someone might be here for three months or six months before they hear about us. Mm -hmm. And since we are running on the quarter system, a student might come and take some placement tests, but it's the middle of the term. And they have to wait until the start of the next term to be able to begin. And so when we're talking about newly arrived, um, I like to put air quotes around that a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, And just also recognizing that um, for many of our students, they might have gotten a degree in their home country. They Mm -hmm. may have studied some English. Um, others may have received up to a sixth grade education. Um, and so for us, we are always wanting to be mindful of the fact that some folks are comfortable with higher ed settings and some are completely unfamiliar. And some come to only improve their English. Mm-hmm. Some are interested in a degree And my favorite thing is that some students don't realize that they can go on to college and get a degree until they come here. And that has been a joy to to give students an opportunity um, for them to realize that they could be, you know, beyond 
those early 20s and study and be able to uh, earn a degree and get a job. Mm-hmm. Wow, wow, wow. Thank you, Catherine, for this overview of what community college does to support the students in like a lot. Of, I'm sure there's a lot of like uh, demographic, wide range of age, um, you know, all that stuff, um, all these different factors that come into play. And so, and I really appreciate that. So I'm curious, as as you mentioned, you're an English teacher. What does your classroom look like to supporting your newly arrived students? That is a great uh, question. Um, I like to start off uh, the term making sure that we have um, little name tests that students can write um, whatever name they want us to call them by and their pronouns on that and put that out, you know, at least for the first few weeks um, until everyone, you know, gets to know each other's names. Mm-hmm. Um, I also uh, do make sure that at the beginning of the term that I am uh, checking with students on the pronunciation of their names. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is something that um, is really important to me. Uh, Some students will, um, as they're introducing themselves, they might say, oh, you can call me by, and they might give a nickname. Mm -hmm. Uh, And sometimes they keep that nickname and other times they let it go uh, because they realize that we actually want to call them by the name that they prefer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, It's also, I think, spending time with students, especially um, because our newly arrived students are are starting at the beginning of the term. Uh, When we um, meet with students to help them select the classes that you're they're going to take. Um, they do meet with a faculty member. Uh, we talk with them about um, their placement scores, where they are, we answer questions. Um, and so that piece is even before they come into mm-hmm. the classroom that first time of just making sure that they have um, questions answered if they're um, English levels are low. We do have some materials that are translated. Uh, we don't have as as many translations as we as I'd like for us to have. We have mostly uh, Spanish and Russian. We have had some uh, Vietnamese. Mm-hmm. Um, I have discovered that um, due to um, the current uh, war that is happening in Ukraine, Mm -hmm. uh, many of our students would prefer to have information written in Ukrainian rather than Russian. And so, um, and I I really sat with that and and thought about that, you know, how important it is um, to make sure that you are accessing materials and Mm -hmm. and the language, you know, to understand the policies of the college um, in, you know, in your, your native language, or at least not in the language of an individual who, or a group that might be invading um, your country. And um, that was something that I had never considered before. Yeah. Um, But but now that we have students arriving and, and making that request, mm-hmm. and some of them may not 
no Russian. Um, that's something that we've been having conversations about what materials do we need to have translated into Ukrainian. Wow. I mean, that is so true about, you know, like, especially like, like you said, what's been going on in the world right now, in the world right now, there's lots of like feelings toward feelings about, you know, what language is being accessed. And of course, folks that are from Ukraine, they want to access materials with their own native language, right? With, uh, with Ukraine. And so I really appreciate what you're, what you're saying about it. And I don't know, just so much reflection. And I think that's us being culturally responsive or culturally relevant, right? Like, you know, assessing the need of our like students and where they're at. And then even you mentioned in the beginning too, like where they're at with their like English, but also like how how comfortable they are in this academic settings. And, and that's a lot to consider too. Uh, I feel like, I don't know, it's different. Like we at a K through 12, I mean, I only worked in, I mean, primary worked elementary school. So the thing I consider had to be mindful is different than the things you have to consider in community college. And so, and to me, it feels like a lot that you, there's so many layers that you have to consider and reflect and assess. So how has it been like for you um, to like work with a lot of like diverse students um, I know you already mentioned about like, you know, name tense and then, you know, ask checking in with the students, whatnot. But like, so as you're trying to navigate all these things, like culturally, language and all this stuff as an English teacher, how do you navigate all of this? That's a great question. I think part of that is, is bringing my own curiosity to um, to the classes. Um, I wanted to make sure that my students understand that um, I may have the label of instructor, but we all teach each other and they have a lot to um, teach me. Uh, there are times when I will um, create uh, specific writing assignments Mm -hmm. so that they can um, talk more about their their holidays, their traditions. Um, I, I think that for some of the students, uh, it's very important for them to be able to see themselves in the materials. And I don't want to um, make you know, sort of these generalizations about, you know, who, you know, who a group of individuals are, what mm -hmm. they do. Um, and so I think giving students uh, an opportunity to write or to speak about something that they're very knowledgeable about where they can teach others. Mm -hmm. um, and that might be sharing about, you know, a holiday or a custom, uh, maybe some different foods. Mm -hmm. Um, and one of the things that I do then is that I ask students uh, permission that I can take some of the examples that they've given and be able to use those in future classes so that um, future students are reading about things that are um, reflecting someone else's experiences and not just what I think about those experiences. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I also find, uh, I find time before uh, the term begins as I'm looking at my roster. And if I am putting together any kinds of worksheets, I try to incorporate some of the names of my students mm -hmm. uh, in those um, activities. Of course, sometimes the first day I might have some names and then I change those because I realize, oh, the student, you know, this is not their chosen name and I want to use that chosen name. Mm -hmm. um, and I think also it has been for me because so many of our um, textbooks have not really come to this point to really understand um, uh, those elements of gender, LGBTQ plus. Right. Um, and for some students, it can be challenging for them to hear about that for the mm -hmm. very first time. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I really want to, uh, sometimes I will, will, will give a story about something that I've done where I've met an individual and I wasn't quite sure um, if I if I was speaking to somebody who identified as male or female, I wasn't familiar with the name. I didn't know if they might be non-binary. Mm -hmm. And for me, what happened was the best thing. I just introduced myself and gave my pronouns. And yeah. that person knew how to address me. Mm -hmm. And then they shared. And so when I let students know that, because what I realized is that for some of my students, when they come into a classroom with many other individuals, they may be struggling to identify, is that the name of somebody who's male or female? Could they be non-binary? Mm -hmm. um, and so for me to share that with them and how I learned that just talking about it more helps other people feel comfortable. Um, students, you know, were able to open up. Now, that doesn't mean that I wouldn't have someone come to me at the end of a class and want mm -hmm. to have a conversation about their concerns. But in that moment, because we're adults, it's me listening to them, me thanking them for their perspective. Mm -hmm. Because what I don't want is for a student to feel that, um, that I'm pushing something on them. Mm. Um, and, and because that's another way of not being sensitive right. to somebody who has maybe never talked about sexual orientation or gender right. in any context before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because like, depending on where they're coming from, they yeah they probably didn't have the opportunity or the language to talk about what's binary, non-binary, you know, LGBTQIA, all that stuff. Like again, depending on where they're coming from too, and it's it's different. Then I feel like it's also important to acknowledge that it's different to like United States, like the Western culture, how we perceive, you know, binary, also non-binary. In, comp uh, in comparison to other countries or culture, if that makes sense. And so that's also great to keep in mind. And I really appreciate you sharing that. And I think that's, you know, having that conversation about so not pushing them with too much where they might feel like intimidated, overwhelmed is so important. But I'm just curious, how do you, 
I'm guessing like, how do you draw that line where, you know, you wanted to have this like open, inclusive conversation, but you also don't, you know, like you say, we're all adults too. So how do you create this inclusive classroom where the adults can express themselves easily, but also able to um, respect each other? I don't know. How do you model model that as an instructor? Um, yeah. Well, that's, that's a great question. And, you know, we always say that response. That's a great question when we're trying <laughs> to figure out what the answer is. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> I think um, for me, part of what I, I am presenting myself, um, hopefully my goal mm-hmm. is to present myself as someone who, who doesn't know everything, who, who continues to learn. And, um, and sometimes students may ask me my opinion about certain things. Mm-hmm. And I might say to them, you know, that's a great thing. Um, it's a little bit off topic of what we're studying today. Mm-hmm. Um, please feel free to come to my office or, you know, come to me during my office hours or after class. We can talk about that a little bit more, um, particularly if I sense that there might be um, something that's a little bit hard for others to hear or mm-hmm. to talk about. Um, most of the time, I feel like it tends to be more making sure that people like helping to draw people out mm-hmm. um, as opposed to someone saying something that other folks you know might not agree with. Right. Um, we do have with our, you know, listening, speaking classes, we do try to give some strategies. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me, one of the things that I really love is the yes. And oh. um, I, you know, I, um, when I'm talking with my students and I'm teaching them about how to respond to someone rather than, and sometimes the textbooks will teach them. I don't agree or I disagree. And then they launch it. And I'm like, right. actually, that's not what we do. That's, uh-huh. That that is sounds like you're ready for a debate. And right. for some of for some of my students, that's what they think conversations are. They might. Mm-hmm. I mean, some students can get really fired up and other mm-hmm. ones, you know, might be a little bit more stepping back like, ooh, this is. A lot of energy coming at me. Yeah. Uh, and so I, you know, am, am teaching some of those key phrases like, you know, thank you for sharing your experience. You know, yes, that's interesting. And here is my experience. Mm-hmm. And just helping folks to see um, really effective uh, communication pieces. Uh, we also try... It's so it's so interesting because uh, we work on I think sometimes he- hedging some things uh, and it can be hard for students if they've never heard about modals or they haven't learned them so they don't mm-hmm. know about could or would or might. Oh yeah, um, that's hard. So, yeah, and so that's a place where. You know, we work on, you know, letting students know, here's the difference between I want and I, I wanted and I would like. 
Um, and those pieces, I think, help students to better understand the elements of of navigating so that um, so that requests you know land a little bit softer. Yeah, but this is all very challenging for yeah. sometimes even native English speakers. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. You know, I like again. I appreciate everything that you say, but especially the part about like, like the difference. Like, I would, I could, I should. Oh my gosh! When I was learning English, that was definitely the hardest thing. Like, e- even the tenses was difficult too. And I also, you know. Full transparency here that like whenever I want something, try to communicate something, I see like I tend to deliver it like directly in a direct way. Like I want to do this or I, you know, like sound really direct and like it's nice to be reminded like, oh, there's a softer way to approach things. So then people don't feel intimidated by my direct approach, my direct uh, communication and it's such a good reminder too, and especially as when we're learning English, new language, we tend to kind of leaning on being more direct because the last thing we want people to see ourselves is that not knowing like what we're even talking about. And so I feel like that's why we fall lean on to like being direct so that we want our mm-hmm. message to be come to be delivered. We want people to know what we're saying. So, but also like it's also important to to give it in a softer way, if that makes sense. So I appreciate you bringing that up because because that's something I sometimes struggle <laughs> even till this day. It, like English is hard. It is. It is. And again, it can even be something that's challenging for folks, you know, who are very fluent. And um, I think that for me personally, as an individual, you know, who grew up with one side of of my family my father's side very extroverted mm-hmm. and conversation was a competition and mm-hmm. when you somebody took a breath that's when you started in mm-hmm. and then my mother's side that was much more reserved and uh sometimes I you know I felt like I was like pulling information from <laughs> my family members um it's it, it is a, a little bit challenging to figure out well what is it where are those in between places and how do I fit in? Um, One Mm -hmm. of, one of my um, colleagues told me once that she likes to teach her students um, the questions as a way for a conversation rather than just, you know, someone says, hi, how are you? You're not just going to say I'm fine, but fine. And you, and to give them an opportunity to, you know, hear back from that other person, mm-hmm. how they're doing, and then start the conversation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've, I've told my students, I said, there are certain things that I'm going to tell you about, and you don't have to do them. You don't have to start a conversation by giving a compliment to someone. Mm-hmm. In some cultures, if you compliment a thing, they're going to offer it to you. So I said, uh, yes, you yes. don't have to do that. Mm -hmm. But what you want to know is that when you're standing in line and someone comments on the weather or Mm -hmm. somebody just happens to mention they like your jewelry or something, Mm -hmm. that's a conversation starter. And what I find for my students is that when I can, 
let them know that I want to make sure they're successful. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure they can get a job. Yeah. And I don't want them to use simple past when they talk about what they did on a past job. I want them to use that present perfect to talk about what they have done, what they have learned, and showing that it's applicable in the present time. And I think for students, when I tell them, I'm teaching you this so that you can be successful, Mm -hmm. you don't have to do the things that I'm telling you to do, but I want you to know what native speakers will do or those who are very fluent, what they will do so that you can be aware of that. You do not have to pronounce words the way that I pronounce them. You don't have to speak at the same, you know, pace, all the things that I do. It's not for you to copy me, Mm -hmm. but I'm giving you these clues so that you can better understand the ridiculous language, the ridiculous culture, because (laughs) they will sometimes ask me about things and they'll say, how do you say this word? And I'll pronounce it. And they're like, what about this word? Like red, the color red Mm -hmm. and past tense of read. I read a book uh, and I'll say sing sound mm-hmm. and they, they'll be like, wow. And that's when I burst into song. Mm-hmm. I always like to sing the song. Welcome to the United States of America where English makes no sense. <laughs> and then, you know, I might, I might go on and sing a little something about whatever we've learned. Um, and just to lighten it because it can feel really heavy sometimes when mm-hmm. you're getting a lot of information. Oh yeah. And I like to I like to ask students to reflect on their learning. There's a lot of um I might have some, you know, dialogue journals which tend to be blue books for my students and give them an opportunity to write and I write back to them. Mm-hmm. That gives them a way of having a connection with me. Um, and really thinking about their learning, giving advice. Um, I want students to talk about like how, how they find themselves being successful, whether it's for work or school. What are some things that we can make suggestions for our class? Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to tell them what they need to do. I'm going to ask them to brainstorm as a group. Mm-hmm. What do we need to do to be successful? What advice are you going to give to the next set of students? What was most valuable in this course? And um, and you have to be willing, because I have language learners, you have to be willing to take whatever it is that you've asked for and be able to receive that and think about now, how can I improve my teaching? Because Mm -hmm. I just had a conference with a student and a student said, this activity wasn't very helpful or this assignment was really confusing or it seemed like and then taking that and thanking them and really doing something different um, with that. And I think that is. That's that place of, of having humility. I don't know the best way to teach students. And Mm -hmm. what I know and do this term, I might do things differently next term because I I see some places where I'm maybe a little bit, you know, short with someone, you know, it's it's 
really hard when they're taking their tests and they want the person next to them to get that 100%. And so they want to share their answers Mm -hmm. with them. And, you know, some of those little things and, um, and then I have to, you know, take that and, and kind of sit with that and think, okay, I think I might've been a little bit short with that student. Mm-hmm. What can I do, you know, in the, and the student may or may not have felt that I was short with them because they may, if they don't know those different elements of, of how we talk to each other, it, it may not have offended them. I mean, if a student comes to me or if they, you know, if I hear about something, then I can definitely remedy that. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's just me reflecting on something and thinking, what am I going to do differently in the future? Absolutely. And humility is so important and reflection. And wow, that's amazing. And you know what? We're all humans, right? We make mistakes. Like you said, we may get short on like some students I do for my I do too with as a counselor I get frustrated with particular issues or students and that happens right we're all human and I like that you mentioned about question as a way to start a conversation because again that brings back to what you mentioned earlier about bring coming in with a curiosity and so it just wraps it, wraps it whole things up. And so as we're finishing up this um, conversation, I really love it. I wish I had more time, but, you know, <laughs> we had to like end it somewhere. So the last thing I would like to ask is that, is there anything you would like to share with us, the audience? Uh, anything else you want to share or resources? Any Anything you would like to share? Oh, so many things that go through <laughs> my mind when someone asks that kind of question. I think for me, um, there are a couple of things to be mindful of. Mm-hmm. First of all, um, if I hear someone speaking and I recognize that there's some kind of accent. I want to be mindful of not saying things that could potentially be offensive, such as, you know, you speak English really well. Mm. Well, that person might have been here for 25 years and they may not have been able to lose that accent, but why should they? And so we really don't know um, where someone is. And Mm -hmm. if you think that someone's a non-native English speaker, live with the fact that you don't know, rather than asking the person, where are you from? For me, I ask those questions of my students because I know them and we're in a classroom setting Mm-hmm. And I want to make sure that I have an idea, you know, who's from the Dominican Republic and who's from Cuba and who's from Mexico. But if if I'm just out and about at the college, it's not my place to automatically assume that someone uh, that a a brown or black or, you know, other BIPOC individual mm-hmm. is a non-native English speaker, that they're an immigrant and, uh, and that somehow, um, you know, talking louder 
mm-hmm. may not be helpful. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I think that there are just those those pieces and talking down to someone mm-hmm. um, there. You can often slow your speech and that makes it easier. Work on, you know, your enunciation because that's a challenging piece for many people. They um, might not be pronouncing words in a way that someone else can hear and understand, but they don't need something that's completely ungrammatical um, and, and I think those pieces are really super important mm-hmm. to help people feel that they're um, respected and they're not being um, singled out um, in a way that maybe somebody who is white uh, mm-hmm. might not be. Oh my gosh, Catherine, I, you know, I wanted to. Um, emphasize when you mentioned that like you don't know how long the person has been in the U.S. learning English like I've been told that I speak really good English but for me I'm like well no like of course I do because I've been living in the United States since the age of nine I spent majority of my life in the U.S. of course my English is decent you know (laughs) and and so and I really appreciate you saying that because that makes me feel validated and yes I do have an accent as my as my audience might figure out yes I do have an accent a little bit of Japanese accent when I speak English but like you say Catherine I don't have to get rid of my accent because that's who I am I am Japanese American Japanese will be my first language and English is my second language and that's just my identity and so oh I love talking to you about this Catherine and I learned so much from you and I say that view uh not viewers sorry uh listeners i wish i hope you will send this like episode to a lot of people who also are um non-bipoc people white colleagues who are trying to be conspirators because what Catherine said right here is spot on i feel like it's um it's a great way to um how great way to just how to be mindful of our students uh, BIPOC student, but also people who are newly arrived, people from different countries, whatnot. Anyways, um, I would just leave it off with this as well. Thank you so much, Catherine, for your time. I really, really appreciate you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this opportunity to share. For more OEA professional learning opportunities, visit grow.oregonad.org.